0: Well, you can open up your Bibles, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to continue through this great chapter. Uh, Hopefully, we're going to get through the end of it. We'll see what happens. But in our previous study, uh, there in verse 14, Paul warned us uh, that in this walk that we have uh, with Christ, that we're no longer to be children. You know, tossed to and fro about by every wind of doctrine because there's plenty, as you know, of strange and weird doctrines that have been floated out for centuries, really. Uh, and because of these, you know, they're set out there by men who are simply trying to deceive the saints and th- those who are immature with cunningness and craftiness and for whatever their motivation would be. Most of the time, it's, a, it's of some form of greed in some way, uh, whether it would be personal greed or, or collective, whatever the case may be. And, and we contrasted that with, with Hebrews chapter 5, where, you know, Paul said that the ability to discern both good and evil really belongs only to those who are full age, to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. To put it plainly, those who walk in the word of God, those who walk their talk, if you will, those who hold the word of God in the same position that God holds his word. In, well, where does he hold it? Well, the Bible tells us that he has exalted his word even above his name. So that's a pretty high place to, to put it, and thus we, as the body of Christ, should also in turn Uh, exalted there also and not only should we exalt his word but we should take heed to it you know Jesus said asked a very simple question why call you me Lord Lord and do not the things that I say so we want to be obedient to the Lord and we want to allow his obedience to flow through us uh, by faith alone but let's just dive in here and let's pick it up where we left off in, in verse 15 and 16 he says but speak the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. For whom the body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now, notice the manner uh, here in verse uh, 15 notice the manner in which truth is to be spoken. Uh it's it's to be spoken in love. When we speak the truth loudly <laughs> or as some have put it ranting and raving, which I've I've witnessed many times from from pulpits, um it's almost never received. You know, it's it, when something's said in anger, uh, it's almost never received well. And You know, and when it is said in anger, it almost becomes an element of repulsion. You know, people just, you know, they just don't want to receive it. But God in His great wisdom has said, speak the truth in love, you know. Now, it won't always be accepted that way, no doubt. You know, uh, people sometimes, regardless of how you say something, sometimes won't be received. But But let that be on their part. Don't let that be on yours. But we're to speak the truth in love in order that we may grow up, he says, in him in all things. That is, we grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you know, who is the head and by whom all of us are neatly, you know, fit together, joined by the Spirit and made a part of the body of Christ in order that we might function in unity, as one grounded in the Spirit and in the power of the Spirit, you know, as we come into the fullness of Christ. I can't really emphasize uh, this enough that, the you know, in, in the body of Christ, that it's made up of separate believers. You know, it, it, you can't look at the church as an entity, as an institution, even though we're going to talk about that here in a moment. But in reality, the the, the church is is healthy when you when you see it as individuals worldwide who are believing in and trusting in jesus christ but that's exactly what the lord has called us to do is to trust in him but when we look at the organized church you know in contrast to the real church which is made up of people but when we look at the organized church often these institutions of denomination and sometimes even non-denomination churches seem so divided. You know, their extreme division goes on amongst them. And it's because of this division, and in many cases because of their hypocrisy, uh, the organized church really no longer wields any influence against evil in this world. You know, there's an interesting passage in Thessalonians and. And Paul says, when he who lets will let until he be taken out of the way. The word let there means hinder. And most Bible teachers recognize that what he's talking about there is the church. You know, and the church will hinder until it be taken out of the way. The only hindering force that is in the world today against evil is the body of Christ. That is individuals who are walking in the power of the Spirit and in the truth of His word and who are not afraid, my friends, to speak the truth in love, but they will take a stand uh, for the things of God. They're hindering evil. But the organized church, in many cases, they have embraced evil, to be honest with you. And they have fallen prey uh, to the world's way of thinking. You know, the unity that we strive for, I believe wholeheartedly is not the institutionalized church unity, but, as I said before, the body of Christ as a whole, as individuals. that's the unity that, that Paul's talking about, because in his time, and, and as he's writing this great epistle to us, you know, the, the idea of a denomination or institutionalized church was foreign to them. They, they didn't. They couldn't even conceive of such a thing. Because the whole church was seen to be one organism to Paul. There was no... That's why he even rebuked him. You remember in Corinthians when he said one one was saying, I'm of Paul or I'm of Paulos. Or today we could say I'm a Baptist or I'm a Methodist or whatever. You know, he rebuked him for that. Because we're all one in Christ if we're walking according to his word and the power of his spirit. But this is the church really that I believe that Paul's talking about. And, and that church, made up of individuals worldwide, is extremely healthy. They are unified. They, they are striving for that unity because they're walking in the Word of God and they're upholding the Word of God. And they are, are making a difference in the world. So the church together, effectually working uh, in the measure of every part, as he says, is increasing to the body, to the edifying. That is, the building up of itself itself. In love. Look at verse 17. He says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. If you're taking notes, make note of that. They're being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. So, Paul was directing us here to walk in a way, walk in such a way that's becoming to the child of God. We're not to walk as other Gentiles. He said some of your Bibles have translated that word heathens, and I think that's a good word for it. Don't walk as other heathens, you know, in the vanity of their mind. The word vanity here in the Greek is a very interesting word. In its basic root form in the Greek, it means empty. Or here he says, "vanity of your mind." He's talking about being empty-headed, uh, but the word also means inutility, and it also means uh, moral depravity. So it's without purpose, you know, given over to moral depravity, and 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 obviously uh, these things absolutely go together. Those three definitions uh, make up the word vanity. Uh, Because, boy, one flows right into the other when you think about it as far as moral corruption, empty-headedness, you know, worthlessness, all those things, they go together. Worthlessness. You know, it's just crazy when you think about it how the world can be. You know, but Paul says we're not to be like that. You know, those who live in that way, you know, have their understanding darkened, he said. They just, they're, they're ignorant, because uh, they're alienated from the life of God uh, because of the ignorance that is in it you remember back in chapter 2 you know Paul said there that those who are such those who are like other you know Gentiles what he told us not to be like but he says those who are that way are alienated from the commonwealth of Israel you know and that's in a collective sense that is as a group, as a, a group of people. They're not part of the church, and therefore, you know, they're, they're part of the world system. And so they're not privy to the things of God. They don't understand the things of God. And they don't really receive any of the blessings that God collectively pours out upon the church. But here he says, those who walk in depravity, these empty-headed people who are just blind-hearted, You know these in their moral corruptness he says that they're alienated from the life of God and this is what I want you to get out of this particular verse because I think it's important you know they're alienated from the life you remember back in the Gospel of John Jesus said the thief cometh not but for to steal to kill and to destroy he said but I've come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So the abundant life, the life that we have in Christ, the life that is dedicated according to the love of Christ, according to the obedience of Christ, and by the faith of Christ, is something that the heathen will never experience because of the ignorance of his heart. Their life is a total antithesis of what god would have for man and him it's the exact opposite of it thus they they are those who verse 19 says who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness and if you're making note make note of uncleanness and greediness so we're not to walk as the heathens do Uh, in lasciviousness, that is, in sexual impurity. Uh, You know, one of the things that leads to sexual impurity, especially in the young, uh, uh, of course, you know, today it would just be the influence that you see in the world and the fact that the church stands silent for the most part on this very issue. Uh, It's not just the young. I mean, we are bombarded constantly as people with sexual innuendo through television and commercials, and uh, the Internet is so accessible uh, to those young. I did a radio show many years ago where we were talking then about the common age that a child is exposed to pornography because of the web, and even uh, back in 2005, I believe it was, uh, the average age was was like eight, and that's scary because they're being introduced to uh, lasciviousness at a very young age. But now uh, we find, even in the body of Christ, that, that much of this type of, of lifestyle is not even spoken against. People are readily allowed to live in sin and uh, not even being married. And they're allowed to, you know, be in the worship band or be in some form of ministry. And nobody says anything about it. Nobody challenges them in it. And this is not a good thing. You know, Paul says we're not to do that. We're not to walk that way you know, uh, in sexual impurity, because these are the things, uh, they're driven by uncleanness and greediness, he says. When you look at the issues that go on in the world, uh, especially today, uh, but it's probably always been this way, that they really can be traced back to two things. Men are driven by one or two things. They're either driven by love or they're motivated by greed. You know, Recently, the government, if you, ch- if you challenge that, if you don't understand that the world is motivated by greed. Uh, here recently, uh, the government, as you well know, has passed out, I think it's $2.8 trillion in what they call stimulus money to help. And no doubt some people needed help. But what we found out here recently was that many corporations who we're actually doing pretty well uh, we're also wanting that money and they readily applied for it and received millions in one case uh, one company received ten million dollars didn't even need it and why because they're greedy because (laughs) it was there and it was for the taking and so they greedily grabbed it even though they didn't need it some of those companies now of course are being shamed. I hate to say it, into giving it back uh, because they didn't need it. But this is what the this is what motivates the world, my friends. They're either you're either motivated by love or you're motivated by greed, and the world is always motivated by greed. Uh, it's what's in it for me, you see. Uh, what what you know? How is this going to affect me? How's that, you know? Uh, it, it doesn't do anything uh, motivated by love. But the body of Christ, of course, is totally different. Uh, We're to be motivated by love, you know, Uh, and 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 as I said, I believe that the body of Christ is. I believe it's very healthy in that respect. Look at verse twenty. He says, "But you've not so learned Christ—that is, to be greedy, to walk in lasciviousness, and those type of things. You've not so learned Christ." Notice the biggest little word in the Bible here on the on verse twenty-one. If you notice that word, if—that's a big but it's the largest word it means the most because it is absolutely important. He says, if so be that you have heard Him, that is Jesus, and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. Have you heard Him? Have you been taught by Him? And Paul says, if you have, then you haven't learned these things. So how is it then, my friends? How is it then that many who occupy the seat of the believer live a life of lasciviousness, who live according to the rules and the ways of this world and seem to have no conscience against it? Or how is it that many churches today say nothing about the sin that is so readily of, you know, prevalent inside of them today? Why, how is that then? If so be that we have heard Christ and we have been taught by Him as the truth, is in Jesus. When you think about it, when you look at the world at large, men, as I said, are basically motivated by two things. They're either motivated by love or they are motivated by greed. And it's easy to see the results from either. The man who is in Christ is motivated by his love for Christ, uh, for the people of Christ and for the church of Christ. When the body of believers is following in the truth uh, that is in Jesus correctly and collectively their actions are motivated by their love not only for each other but for God and for all that is his paul said and it is the love of christ that constrains me and i and i love that word constrained it, it kind of it's like it means like a cattle press that holds you in place and it's the love of god that does it the love of christ he said constrains us Everything a child of God does is really motivated by love. And even the giving of his time, his talent, and his treasure is motivated by his love for Christ and his gratitude for all that God has done for us. But those who are motivated by greed, as I said earlier, are interested in only one thing, and that is what they can get. You know, how does it? how is it going to benefit them? You know, but this, Paul said, is not how you and I are to be in Christ. You know, what, what have, you know what, that is if you've heard Him and, and have been taught by Him. You know, and what you have learned is, look at verse 22, that you should put off concerning the former conversation. Of course, the word conversation here, some of your Bibles say manner of life, which is accurate. He said that you should put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed man if you're taking notes underline this next verse and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and look at this and true holiness I love that term what's true holiness true holiness is knowing who you are in Christ it's not what you wear so often I in in past when I was studying religion you know you get so many people who who think that putting on a garb or a robe or something is going to make you holy I got news for you my friend I don't care how holy you think the robe is unless Christ has clothed you in it it is nothing but a worthless rag and it will not affect you in one way whatsoever this is why Paul uses the term true holiness. My holiness isn't of myself. My righteousness isn't of myself. My righteousness is of Christ. It's His righteousness and His holiness that has been imputed to me by faith alone. And therefore, as He is, you know, we're told in the Scriptures, so are we in this present world. If, if, the, if the root is holy, then the branches are holy. You know, it's just that simple. True holiness. But He tells us to reckon the old man to be dead. You know, back there in, in Romans 6.11, Paul said, you know, put him off. You know, he, he was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin should not have reign over you anymore. How should we? You know, how, how, how should we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And he asked a rhetorical question. And it's God forbid, you know, The old man, that old nature did nothing for us. You know, think about what you had when you were, before you knew Christ. Think of all these stupid, sinful, wretched decisions you made according to your flesh and what it got you. And it doesn't take long to go, yeah, I didn't leave anything there, you know. And why would we want to go back to that? This is what Paul's saying, you know. How how, how do we do that, though? And so often, people get this really messed up. And so, I want you to take special note here. How do I achieve? How do I put off the old man? You know, how do I reckon the old man to be dead? How do I walk in this newness of nature that that God has imputed to me by by faith alone? And he says, by being renewed in the spirit of your mind. (laughs) When you do that, when... When, then, then you will put off, you see, the old man and you will put on the new man after which God is after God and which is created in righteousness and true holiness. You can't overstate this. You can't overstate this fact. For centuries, my friends, that the church has been more concerned with right doing in people rather than right believing. So consistently, when you study history and throughout it, you see the church, the Gentile church especially, taking you know, the simplicity of the New Testament, the new covenant that God has supplied to us through Christ, and basically turning it into a new set of laws, just like they were Jews. And they just turn them into a set of rules and regulations and therefore they they present to the world this performance-based religion which produces nothing other than hypocrites and self-righteous people. And God will have neither of that. But when we renew our mind, when our mind is changed, oh my gosh, the core of my being is changed. The way I see things has changed. The way I hear things is changed. By the renewing of your mind. You know, then and only then will I be able to walk after the new man. The, the, that nature that is in Christ, which is in righteousness and true holiness. Look at verse 25. He says, wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor." For we are members one of another. Be ye angry, and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Hmm. I think it's amazing that when you talk about the issue of anger, that people think that anger is a sin. Often they, it's kind of goes hand in hand with the way they see judgment. You know, if, if a heathen or uh, someone who really doesn't know the word uh, thinks that you're questioning something that they're doing, it's always, you know, judge not lest you be judged, you know, and they don't, and they quote it completely out of context, not realizing what God is actually saying. But they do the same with anger, that somehow being angry uh, is a sin in and of itself. It's not true. Now, no doubt sin, uh, anger can be a sin, but it's, but it's not in and of itself. You know, we're instructed to be angry, Paul says, but sin not jesus gave us a great example of what has been termed righteous indignation or anger you know when he braided a whip you remember the story and he cleared the temple and uh, they were commercializing there in the temple they were selling you know animals at, at you know ridiculous prices to people who had to to make sacrifice and they were turning the people into merchandise. And Jesus went in and he began to turn over the tables of the the money changers with a whip in one hand. And he began to say, you know, my house house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. He was angry. And he had every right to be. You remember when Jesus uh, was going into the synagogue on the Sabbath, there was a man there with a withered hand. And the Pharisees were watching Jesus to see what he would do on the Sabbath, you see. Because it was against their tradition, against their rules, to do anything, good or bad, on the Sabbath. So they wanted to see what he would do when this man with a withered hand showed up. And of course, you know the story. You know Jesus did what was right. He healed the man. But then it says that Jesus looked on the Pharisees, with anger, and he looked on them with anger because of the narrowness of their mind, because of the unrepentedness of their hearts. These Pharisees would have deprived this crippled man of a healing and of a touch of God because of their tradition, you know, to hold back, you know, uh, that which which was good from somebody who was in need. They would have held it back from him. Jesus looked on him with anger. You know, it's not really unlike many uh, churches today who have held back the Word of God and the work of God or even counted the Word of God of no effect because of their tradition, you see. Righteous indignation is never wrong. In fact, it should be there. You know, there's nothing sinful about it when we take a stand against that which is wrong. There's an old saying that says that evil reigns when good men do nothing. And there's truth in that, my friends. When we look around and we see denominations and non-denominations and the, the institutional church give place to things like abortion and to, to murdering their own young and, and saying, well, you know, there's, there's instances when that's okay. That God doesn't care, or we see them giving place to to, to wretched lasciviousness like homosexuality, or or uh, you know other forms of of uh, adultery and those type of things, and to other sinful ways of life. When we see them giving place to that, it should anger us. It should make us mad. It should make us go to our knees in prayer for them. You know, but alas, too many times today, people aren't angry. They don't get angry at that because somehow they have misconstrued the idea that anger is sin. Jesus said to be angry, but to not to be angry without a cause. Oh, that's different. And not let the sun go down upon your wrath. You know, there's no room for grudge holding is what Paul's saying. You know, when we see something that that angers us, we're to speak the truth in love against that and to point back to the Word of God and say, no, you're wrong in this. You need to repent. You know, but we leave it there. You know, or sometimes even within a marriage, you know, you can have an argument. You know, and and sometimes you wind up going to bed with that mindset. Paul says, yeah, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. You know, there's no place for grudge-holding with a true believer, someone who's genuinely born again, walking in the love of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no room for that. When you go to bed with a grudge and, and, and hatred and, and bitterness in your heart, you're the only one losing sleep. Paul says, don't do that. That's not for you. You know, when we give way to grudging, we're actually giving way to the devil. You know, he says, give no place to the devil. You know, who wants nothing more than to kill your joy, to steal your reward, and to destroy your witness. So, you know, don't do that. Look at verse 28. He says, but let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing that is good that he may have to give to them that have not. Or in my Bible, it says that that have need. And that's an interesting statement, I think, that the reason that one is to work is not simply to supply our own need, but so that we will have and be in a better position that when we see a need in others that we might be able to help that need. But that's why we, that's why we work. Look at verse 29. He says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, except that which is good to the use of edifying. That it may minister grace to the hearers hmm. I remember when I came out of the army now I wasn't serving the Lord but in the army there is uh, the profuse use of colorful metaphors that are not fit to be said by anybody but they're readily used in the army And like I said, unfortunately, some of that type of communicating has become a part and part and partial in the body of Christ. I remember here recently, I was watching a, a YouTube excerpt from a church, a mega church with a pastor, and his name has evaded me at this moment, but I remember this pastor was using he was teaching from one of the parables if you want to call it teaching and he begins to put words in Jesus's mouth and he began to say that Jesus was saying that what the Pharisees were saying was BS but he wasn't saying BS my friends he was saying the whole word and he kept saying it over and over again Jesus said "Bull," you know and he kept saying it and I remember sitting there going and these poor infantile sheep were sitting underneath of this guy who obviously did not have the Spirit of Christ. And they were listening and putting up with this. You know, the Bible tells us the Word of God is pure, and there's nothing profane in it. I love that. I love that. And when we're speaking in public, and when we're trying to win the lost, when we're trying to teach someone else, well, our words should be filled with grace, something that edifies people, something that builds them up. You know, Paul says, "Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the edifying of the hearers, that it may minister grace to the hearers." You know, it's it's not hard when we simply allow the Holy Spirit to be the one guiding, and the one speaking through us then it's he that doeth the works. It's he the one who will be saying and speaking. And he never uses profane or vain words in that way. Look at verse 30. He says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. First, I want to point you out to the fact that he says that you are sealed unto the day of redemption. That's a given, you know. And I thank God for it. My my uh, younger Uh, immature brothers and sisters who have not yet embraced the fact that you are sealed unto the day of redemption, that you are saved and there is no other route for you but to wind up in heaven. Uh, Listen, if God has sealed you, it's a done deal. You remember back when Paul says that he is the uh, earnest of of, of the inheritance, that is the Holy Spirit. Uh, He gives him to you because it's a promise to fulfill the rest of it. And not only does he give you the Holy Spirit, but he seals you with the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. But we are then, because we are sealed in the Holy Spirit, it is possible for us to grieve the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? Well, when we begin to live a lifestyle uh, that's not becoming, or when we are saying things that are leading others not to Christ, but giving them a reason to blaspheme the name of the Lord. And it's not always just doing something. So often, people want to go off on a, the fact that well, that person did this or did that, and they they've left a bad taste in, in believers' mouths. I'll tell you what leaves a bad taste in a, in a non-believer's mouth more than anything is listening to corrupt communication come out of a believer's mouth. It's not so much what you do, to be honest with you, because I think even the world understands that we're all sinners. But what they don't understand is someone who talks like a sailor and yet at the same time claims the name of Christ. Here recently on Facebook, once again, I probably ought to quit watching it, they had some woman who obviously was possessed, but she was on there and somebody was filming her and probably in Walmart, and she's going off on this this fellow who was doing nothing. And she's using the F-bomb just like an adjective. And at the same time, she's quoting scripture. And you're going wow the scripture she was quoting was absolutely true the things that she was saying were absolutely true the problem was they were being punctuated by absolute horrendous language so listen to a child of God someone who's born again listen we all have fallen into a situation where we've been upset maybe we said something that we shouldn't say But it's certainly not going to be the lifestyle. It's certainly not going to be what we do when we're in public most of the time. And this is really what Paul is saying. And why? We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. And we can do that uh, by acting the way we're not supposed to act. Because the Holy Spirit, who is holy, you see, we're making him a part of that at that time. And that's why it grieves him look at verse 31 let all bitterness if you take a note make note of this my friends let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice I think Paul started off this verse with the word bitterness here because it can be a wellspring if you will from that which anger clamor and evil speaking flow it's what brings about malice you know in fact paul told us to let no root of bitterness spring up in your life and thereby it many become defiled because it does boy have you ever met someone who's bitter maybe you're bitter you know paul says listen don't allow that to take root because you're the only one it's destroying you're it but in 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 so doing if, you, if bitterness is in your life, don't think that you're going to be able to win anybody to Christ. Don't think that you're going to see any fruit from that Christian tree as other Christians. It's not going to happen because people are going to see through you. They're going to see the anger and the malice and the bitterness that's in your life. You know, this is the problem with bullies. And so often people you know, will have... A, I've, I've met people in the church even who other christians you know behind their back would say well that person's a bully and, and i'm going wow that shouldn't be said about a child of god you know and what causes that uh you know f- why does that become a reputation to someone well it's because of bitterness so paul says listen let all bitters let it you know let let it be gone from you put it away why? Because you're a child of God. You're walking in the Spirit of God. You are motivated by the love of God. And it just has no part with you. It, just, it, doesn't, it doesn't suit you. It's not becoming, you know. That's really all Paul's talking about. Look at verse 32, and be kind one to another. You know, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Wow. As a child of God, who is born again, who has had their mind renewed after the inward man, who walks after the things of the Spirit, uh, because we are trusting in all that Christ has done, because we're glorying in nothing but what Jesus has accomplished for us, we are to be kind one to another, tender hearted forgiving one another. Well, how do we do that? You know, what's what's the measure by which we are to forgive? You know, well, we're to do it according to the measure that God does. And before we close, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, because I want to show you what that measure is. You know, Jesus gives these parables, and this is such a great one. And so it's kind of lengthy, but I want to read it to you. we got plenty of time. You're not going anywhere. You know, and because I want you to get this. How are we to forgive each other? Well, we're to do it according to the measure that God uses. And let's look at Matthew uh, chapter 18. I'm going to start in verse 23. He says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, One was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. But for so much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and his children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not. And he went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So, when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were so very sorry, and came and told unto their lord all that was done. Then his lord, after he had called him, said unto him, Thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desired me. Shouldest thou not have had compassion on thy fellow servant? And even as I had pity on thee, and his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him, so likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your heart forgive not every one his brother their trespass. The point is, my friends, that the forgiveness of God is extreme. You know, before this, you know, they asked Jesus, one of his disciples did, Lord, how often should I forgive my, my brother? Seven times. And he says, I say not unto you seven times, but 70 times seven. It's not an exact number he's talking about. What he's saying is that we should forgive the way Christ has forgiven. God has forgiven you for Christ's sake. And that is without measure. That is in love, compassion you know looking to yourselves he he's going to tell us when we get finally to ephesians there he will say you know you who are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness looking to yourselves lest you also be tempted when i realize that god has forgiven me so much so much it should be a very little thing for me to forgive the minor infractions that people have committed against me because my infractions my sin my wretchedness against god was huge and yet because of his great compassion god has forgiven all thus paul says forgive one another even as god for christ's sake has forgiven you so my friends read on as we go into chapter five it gets better i want to encourage you to take notes Mark it down. Mark that Bible up, man. You know, make notes and just see what it is that the Lord will say to you about what it is that we're studying. So we love you, and we thank you for joining us. Till next time, God bless you. We'll see you here on Something Beautiful.